Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Grace. Happy New Year's Eve, Eve. Hope you guys had a Merry Christmas. If you're back again this week uh, visiting us again, a special welcome to you guys, as John said. Uh, My name is Josiah Rios, and I'm on staff here at Grace, and I get to work with our students and our small groups. I love getting to do that. It's been a little bit since I've been up here sharing. Uh, I've had quite a a couple little uh, life updates uh, since then. Some of you know probably the biggest one, and that is we're expecting our first baby girl here in January 23rd. Yeah, we're really excited and lots of you guys have been really encouraging. Yeah, and so depending on when you guys ask us, you always ask with a knowing tone, how are you doing? (laughs) Are you ready? And depending on when you ask us, right, it'll be probably a different answer depending on how we're feeling. We've been going through this roller coaster of emotions, uh, preparing for our first kid and just this new experience of life that we're, we're waiting for. And so really lots of emotions going on. So with partly fear being like, okay, we have to take care of this life. We have to keep it alive, which is scary, okay? We have to keep it breathing and all that stuff. The last time I had to take care of a life was like in middle school with my hamster. That didn't turn out too well, so I'm a little nervous, but I've matured a little bit since then, so I think I'll be okay. But there's fear involved as far as like not knowing, you know, how to do this. There's no manual, right, that comes with it. Did anyone get a manual when there's kids came? Nobody? Okay. So definitely some fear involved with this new experience, but also some awe uh, as well as we like watch this process happen as this life is growing inside of my wife and getting to see uh, the process that she goes through and we go through as well. And as she's eventually here, our baby, and then the joy that that'll be being able to raise her and uh, to be with her and to show her and talk about Jesus and all this good stuff. So all these emotions that we've been going through and I think we'll probably continue to go through throughout parenthood. Is that right, parents? Do you continue to go through this all over the place as kids go crazy and all that good stuff? So we're excited for that, but we're also nervous and, and fearful as well. And so uh, you guys ever been through maybe a drastic or emotional roller coaster like that, whether that's maybe your own kids or you've been going through something maybe crazy holiday season Uh, seeing family and whatnot, traveling. Uh, What I want to do today as we stand on the edge of a new year with lots of uncertainties, possibly doubts, fear, anxiousness, as this new year comes, some uncertainty of what this new year is going to hold, I want to look at a group of people in the Bible that went through a roller coaster experience for them. It was a defining moment for them, and they came out differently than how they went in, okay? So we're going to go ahead and look at John 20, starting in 19. So if you guys want to flip there, uh, you can start heading that direction. As you guys go that way, I want to give a little bit of context so you know where we're jumping in so it makes a little bit more sense, okay? So John is one of the Gospels, right? It tells the story of Jesus' life, and the part that we're jumping in is towards the end of the book. So Jesus has actually been crucified already. He's gone to the cross. He's died and was buried in a tomb, and then the women go to the tomb to take care of his body, but... He's not there, right? He rose from the dead and he appeared to several of his followers, several hundred of his followers actually, before he eventually rose into heaven. And so the passage we're going to look at is one of those times where he appears to a group of his close followers. You got me? Let's go ahead and look there. John 20, starting in 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, When the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. 
Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So there you go, right? They started in this room full of fear, which makes sense because their leader just died and he was killed in a brutal way. These Jewish leaders that probably had a big hand in making that happen were probably gunning for them next because they were also, whenever you're going to shut down a movement, you try and go for the leaders, right? And so they're probably going to be next in trying to shut down this Jesus movement that was going on. So it makes sense why they were afraid, locked in this room, trying to stay safe, stay together to encourage each other. But then Jesus appears, right? Probably shocked him a little bit, got him some surprise, like, whoa, wait, what in the world is happening, right? Jesus all of a sudden appears. It's like, wait, is this a ghost? What's going on? Right? But that turns to joy. They realize, wait, this is Jesus. He was dead, but now he's back and he's right here. This is him. And all their thoughts that he's like, stuff that he said over his life probably started to connect in their minds. It's like, wait, this is Jesus. And he, he said he was going to do this, right? And things start to connect and then they're just, exploding with joy. That group of disciples that first went into that room as a fearful group of people left that room with boldness and passion as they were sent out by Christ into the world to start this movement, the church, that we are now today. And so what I want to do is look at those words that Jesus said to them and see what he said that changed this group so that just as you guys came in here, I hope you guys leave differently from this room as they left that room differently. Is that good? We with me? All right, well, let's hop right in at the first thing that Jesus says there. What's the first thing? He says it twice, actually. It's peace be with you. Yeah, exactly. Peace be with you, which makes sense first off because he just appeared there and now they're probably freaking out like, oh my goodness, it's a ghost. What is it? So guys, cool down. It's me, right? Peace be with you. But it, it goes a little bit further than that, right? Peace is something that really everyone is searching for. You would ask someone, you want more peace? Well, yeah, of course. We all want more peace. And so what I want to do is ask three questions to understand more of what this peace is that Jesus is talking about. So this first question is, what does peace mean? What does peace mean? So for you right now, think in your head, what comes to mind when you hear the word peace. What are you usually thinking of? Probably some quiet, calm place, serenity, maybe a lack of war, lack of chaos, right? This, this peace. Jesus says he comes to bring a different kind of peace than what the world brings. Right? He actually says it a little bit earlier in John. John fourteen twenty seven says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Right, so the way that I saw it and, and want to explain it is there's this different kinds of peace that we get. We get this peacefulness, is how I would put it, from the world. We also find this peace that's a little bit different. It's from Jesus. Right? And here's how they're different. So peacefulness is something that's dependent upon our circumstances. Right? That's something that we can control. And that's something like, hey, you know what? I'll just remove myself from the situation. I'll, I'll find some peace. I'll be calm. I'll, I'll relax. Things like that. It's also something that we can attain on our own. Something that we can do ourselves. Be like, okay, well, I'm just going to relax a little bit. I'm going to go take a vacation. I'm going to get a massage. Things that we can do to attain this peacefulness. It's also something that has an end, too. Because at some point, that peacefulness has to stop. Eventually comes in, you have to enter back into the real world, right? At some point, you come back to the chaos, back to the stress, the anxiety of the life that's going on in your life. That's peacefulness that we find in the world. We can, we can get that. 
then there's this peace that Jesus offers that's a little bit different. First off, we can't attain that on our own. That's something that's only given to us as a gift. It's a free gift, but we can't earn it in any other way like we can with peacefulness. Also with peace is it's independent of our circumstances. The peace from Jesus, it can transcend what we're going through, right? No matter if we're going through something difficult, unlike peacefulness, we can still have this inner deep peace that Jesus offers. Peacefulness is like this escape where we try and get away from the troubles. Peace that Jesus offers is there amidst the trouble. And finally, God's peace doesn't have an end like peacefulness does. This peace, since it's with us in our troubles, doesn't have to end, okay? So those are the ways that I was explaining the difference between the two kinds of peacefulness and the peace that we can find. And the peace that Jesus offers is quite clearly different. So let's look into that a little bit more and open that a box a little bit further. So looking at the greeting that Jesus gives there, he says, peace be with you, was actually a typical Hebrew uh, greeting, Jewish greeting that they would use. They would say, shalom, shalom to you, right? Which is their word for peace, right? Peace. And so the most basic meaning of that, it's more than just an absence of war, chaos. It's not like they're saying, all right, hopefully there's no fighting in your home. They're saying, hey, we're actually saying there's this idea of complete or wholeness. That was the basic meaning of shalom, complete or whole. And so it can refer to something that's complex, has lots of pieces, but it's whole and complete, not missing anything. The Bible Project, which we've mentioned several times, great resource. They have a whole video on this idea of peace if you want to check it out. Really helpful in explaining it. They use this imagery of a brick wall. Okay, so like a brick wall, it's all these different pieces, all these different bricks, but they fit together and they're complete. It's whole. All of them are there. It's complete. It's got shalom. But you take away one of those bricks, you get some cracks in there, and you have a lack of shalom. It's not complete. It's not whole. And so to restore it to shalom, it needs to have all the bricks there, all the pieces, no cracks, all the way back to a full wall to have shalom. That's the kind of peace that Jesus gives to us and brings to us. So to bring to shalom to someone or something is to, amidst that, their complexity of their life, bring them wholeness or completeness. This kind of peace that Jesus brings us really doesn't make sense from the outside, right? Philippians 4, 7, some of you may have heard this verse, right? It's peace that transcends or passes all understanding. You guys heard of that? It's peace that passes understanding because it just doesn't make sense when you see it from the outside. Do you guys know anyone that has this kind of peace where you look at their life and you see they're going through something extremely difficult and challenging? You look and see, wait, you're not freaking out and flipping out and throwing things and all this crazy stuff. You're still at peace? What is, that doesn't make sense. If you look at this happening in your life, this should be your response, but you have peace. It, it passes understanding. You guys know somebody like that? My wife and I have been uh, together for about five years now, probably more than that. And um, we've had a lot of challenges and things that we've learned a lot about each other. And we're excited for this next step as well as we uh, have our first child, which as I've talked to a lot of you and read as far as parenting and how that works, you actually learn a lot about yourself and about your spouse during the process of raising kids as well, which I thought was interesting. And so we're excited to learn more about each other during this next challenge. Um, but that's not the first challenge, of course, that we've, we've been through. Uh, one of the first challenges that we've ever come across together was when she was in her freshman year of college. This was actually right after we started uh, officially dating. Um, she had this extreme fatigue 
that we weren't sure what was coming from. And we saw all these kinds of red flags. She would start passing out randomly or when she would just try and stand up, just crazy uh, exhaustion would just set in. It would be really difficult for her to move from the couch just to the kitchen, just to walk. It was extremely difficult. And another red flag was that nothing was giving her her energy back. No matter what she tried, sleeping, eating, changing her schedule, trying these different habits, nothing was giving her that energy back. And so we were like, well, maybe it was her college schedule, but changing that up didn't help at all. And so she comes back uh, for the summer and tries to relaxing a little bit, but also checking out different doctors, see what they say and the advice that they have, trying to pinpoint what exactly it is that she's going through, why she's struggling with this, and trying to get some answers. Unfortunately, none of the doctors were able to pinpoint exactly what it was, nor were they able to give her anything that would help her from this too. So it was a very frustrating, uh, aggravating process. So she laid low throughout the summer, trying to get some answers, and hopefully she was hoping that by resting throughout the summer, she would have enough energy to go back to school. So she went back, but that only made things worse. She lost even more weight, which is super difficult and had even more exhaustion. Nothing seemed to be working. So she came home for winter break. She made it all the way to that. And um, they were trying again, same thing, trying to find some other answers for that. And during that break, they had a little bit extended time for their school schedule. They could take a J-term class or they could pass. So she had some extended time to try and figure this out. And so what they did is they went down to Florida. She went with her mom down to Florida, thinking maybe some sunshine in Florida would help, you know, relieve some of this. Although they didn't find any concrete answers, they found something. They saw a rainbow. They saw a rainbow, and they felt that that was God's promise to them, like with Noah, and he put the first rainbow in the sky, saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to be there for you. And so that brought them to tears, and that feeling that, you know, God was there with us. He's, he's got a promise to us. He's there. He's with us. He's not leaving us in the midst of this. And that changed their attitude. They didn't find answers, but they knew God was there with them. And so from there, they came back and continued to try to look for other doctors, other answers, and they found a doctor that was a Christian that helped kind of pray them through the process, um, but it was still difficult and, and challenging. And they eventually did find out what she was struggling with. And on her way kind of out of it, she was slowly making some progress. They found that she had mono and CMV, two terrible viruses ravaging her body at the same time. So not just the one, but two of them that normally knock some people down. It had both of them in her body. So not only was it terrible to have them both, but the effect it left on her body was completely changing her life. So they now call it POTS, POTS. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it manifests differently. And for her, she now has this like chronic fatigue that she's always going to struggle with and this t blood pressure struggles and all this exhaustion, she's going to have a piece of that for the rest of her life. And I've seen a lot of that as she's come home from teaching. She comes home, sometimes she has to lay in bed for the rest of the day. Uh, and for those of you that know her, that's not who she is. Right? She's this bubbly person, joy-filled, friendly, loves going and doing and being with people. So having to do this is really challenging for her. And I've had a unique seat in watching all of this because I was the boyfriend at the beginning of the picture when it all started. And you know what I've seen through all that? That peace that passes understanding. Even though it didn't make sense that she's been going through all this challenging stuff, she's had to change how she lives her life. She still has this deep peace that came only from Jesus. 
And honestly, that's probably one of the biggest reasons that I wanted to marry her. Seeing that peace in her and be like, I want to be around that. I want to be around that peace that she has. I want to have that peace myself. It's, a, it's almost more encouraging when you see that in someone. So do you know someone like that, that has that peace that passes understanding? I think we all want more of that peace as well for ourselves. And so that kind of leads us to our next question. How does Jesus bring about shalom? How does he bring about this completeness that we can have, this peace that passes understanding? So last week we had our Christmas services, right? We talked about Isaiah 9 where it has all the names of Jesus. Prince of Peace was one of them, right? And really, Jesus doesn't bring peace at Christmas. Okay, it may sound a little weird, but Jeff actually started talking about this idea last week as well, where Christmas isn't the center of Christianity. It's not the main goal of it. I think I already heard someone whisper, what is the center of Christianity? It's Easter, yeah, which is what's happening in this passage that we just looked at and are looking at still, right? Right after he says, peace be with you, he shows them his wounds, right? His, his hands and his side. Most likely, so when they crucified him, right, the hands, they say the hands, probably more like the wrists was where they nailed in the nails and also his ankles was where they nailed him in. He also had a wound in his side because if you remember the story, he got stabbed by the spear from the soldiers to check if he was dead and if he was dead, stuff would come out, water. So that's what they were doing. Those were his wounds that he was showing. And as I was looking at this this week, this was, just kind of blew my mind. I was like, well, why, think about this, why do you think he still had the wounds. He just rose from the dead. He has all this power. Why didn't he just give himself a completely new body, chiseled and everything, right? He has the power. Why didn't he do that? Are our bodies going to be like chiseled and everything, perfection? Why did he still have those wounds? I think there's a couple reasons. One, I think it helped prove, hey, yep, I died this way. This is me, the side and everything. But I think it, kind of answers the question that the disciples are asking in their head. Right, so he says, hey, peace be with you. Well, well, how are you bringing us this peace? Like this. By these wounds is how I'm bringing you this peace, this shalom. Me going to the cross, taking these wounds that were for you, this is how I'm bringing you that peace. And that's what we see here. If shalom means making whole, then the peace of Je- that Jesus brings goes like this. I have a line, I'm gonna put it in. Jesus was sent to offer shalom in the way he restored to wholeness the broken relationship humans had with God the Father. And this really kind of goes all the way back to creation, okay? So it starts in Genesis with Adam and Eve. They were created to walk and talk with God. Perfect, complete union with God, right? That's what it says, that they walked and talked with him. But then what happened? There was sin, and that broke that complete, perfect union that we had with God because of our sin, right? Romans 6.23 says the penalty of that sin was death, yeah, which is eternal separation from God. So the penalty was that separation of that completeness. But God had the plan in motion, right, since that happened, to restore that, to bring back the completeness, the wholeness, ever since that happened. And he does that through Jesus, Right? We saw that through our understanding the Old Testament series we just walked through. Right? We walked through the Old Testament seeing how that leads up to Jesus. Right? 
So we celebrate the birth of Jesus because, hey, that's proof that he's coming and he's here to do what he came to do. But we celebrate his death and resurrection because that is what he came to do and how he brings us his shalom and his peace. Paul Tripp was an author, theologian, pastor. Uh, says that there's a moment on the cross that's the epicenter of the Christmas story. It's that moment when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says that's the most painful moment for Jesus. Not all the physical pain that he went through. If you read the story, you see how much physical pain and torture that he endured. All that was nothing compared to this separation that he did with the Father. Because he'd never been separated with the God the Father before. In eternity past, he'd always been in that completeness with him. But when he took on our sin, he had to be separated from him. And that was the biggest moment of anguish for him that he took on for us. That's why Jesus came. That's why the, the angels celebrate at his birth, but even more so why we celebrate at his death. Paul Tripp put it really well. He said, he came to be the temporarily separated son so that we can be the eternally accepted children of God. Let that sink in a little bit. He came to be the temporarily separated son so that we can be the eternally accepted children of God. In light of our conversation of shalom, here's, I would, here's how I would put it in these terms. He took on our lack of shalom so that we can experience true shalom. He willingly separated himself from God the Father, taking on our sins so that we could then experience true shalom by being complete and united with God again as we were meant to be. Does that make sense? That like blew my mind this week. I know it's a lot flying around, but that's the peace that Jesus offers. That's how he accomplishes it. Which leads us with our last question. How then do we get that peace? If that's how he does it, how do we get that peace from him? And so Romans 5.1 says it like this. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's our faith in Jesus. When we say, we say that saying yes to Jesus, that's how we call it here at Grace. Saying yes to Jesus, saying yes to a life with him, he gives us his peace or his shalom that connects us, reunites us back with God in completion and wholeness. So it's saying yes to a life of living for him and repenting of where we were, repenting of our life and our sin and turning and living for him instead. We can't have it any other way. This is how it's gifted to us. We can't earn this peace or force this peace. It's gifted to us only by just having faith in Jesus. My dad works for this uh, organization um, that works with incarcerated youth. And uh, they have lots of ministries, programs, initiatives that help these students and kids turn their lives around, but ultimately know Jesus. And so they have uh, lots of things what they do inside the jail, but they also have a farm that they own where they bring the kids out of so that they can get them out of their normal schedule, but also teach them some basic skills of, of just building, learning, and, and tailing the land, all this different stuff, get them into God's creation, um, and also to mentor them as well. And my dad um, mentored this one young man named Josh. And he grew up in a terrible home life, a chaotic home life. Lots of drugs, alcohol, uh, abuse, fighting, stress, the whole shebang. And since that's how he grew up, that's what he resorted to. And that just kept boiling up in his life, building up and eventually exploding 
into poor choices, which got him connected with the ministry and eventually my dad and the mentoring program. And so he walked through that with him. He mentored him, started helping him realize you know, where he's at and, and talked to him about Jesus and those things and talked through it, had some questions, stuff like that. And they eventually brought him out to the farm. And he says he found this peacefulness. Remember that peacefulness we've been talking about? That peacefulness, he saw that there. Quiet, calm, relaxed in God's creation. Something that he always wanted. He didn't, couldn't put a name on it. He always tried to find something different than the life he grew up in. He saw this peacefulness there but he also saw this peace as well. This peace that was from Jesus and Jesus alone. The peace that passes understanding. He saw that in my dad, in the other leaders that were there. He saw Jesus' peace. He couldn't tell you what it was, but he could say, they have something I don't. And they have something that just doesn't make sense. And I want that. And the coolest part of the story is he does find peace in Jesus. He finds his peace and his rest in him. And he's, he's a mechanic, uh, so how he explains it is um, he, he would say it's like an engine flush. Those of you who probably know more than what I would know about it, but it's like an engine flush where it kind of releases, clears out everything, all this gunk and stuff that's all cut, curled up in his life eventually just got flushed out, released, and that's how his life felt. Everything was just released, the pressure, the stress, all that was overcome by this peace from Jesus. Sure, things are still difficult and challenging, but he has this peace amidst his complexity of life. It's cool. He's now married. He has a kid. He has a job. God has changed his life for the better. And he still struggles with things. But he would tell you the thing that floors him is that he was offered this peace for free. He didn't have to earn it in any way. He didn't have to right all these wrongs that he did. He didn't have to correct and do certain things. He just had to have faith. And he was given this peace that passed understanding. Maybe that's where some of you are this morning. You haven't first experienced uh, the peace that we get from Jesus, from having our faith and trust in him. And if you haven't, I would encourage you to keep wrestling with that and challenge you to, to think about doing that because that's the best decision you'll ever make. And it's the only way that you'll find that kind of peace. But there's also some of us that still struggle with this balance of seeking peacefulness instead of just leaning into the peace of Jesus that we have. We've said yes to Jesus, but we keep trying to seek our own peacefulness. So I want to challenge you, as I was challenged this week, lean into the peace of Jesus. And there's this question that came to mind when I was looking at this that I want to challenge with you as well. Have you stopped to let Jesus show you his wounds? Just like he showed them here to his disciples he wants to show you what he's done for you, how he's given you this peace. Sometimes I forget, especially as we're getting the baby room ready and freaking out if we have all that we need. It's like, I don't, you know, freaking out. It's like, you know, I just need to stop and let the peace of Jesus, let me look at his, show me, show me how you've, you've loved me, how you've brought this peace to me. So just because we lean in that peace doesn't mean all the, the challenges will go away and uh, the problems will disappear and we'll get all these answers. Peace doesn't mean answers. It means peace. It means having completeness amidst the complexity of life. And so whatever roller coaster emotions, experience you guys are going through right now, if you stand on the end of a new year, I want to challenge you and encourage you to lean into the peace of Christ. 
So what you may be wondering at this point is why the B front of your program says sent and we've been talking about peace. Well, I want to end our time today looking at the rest of the stuff that Jesus says here in this verse, which is about sent, okay? So let's go ahead and look at it. Verse 21, here's what he says. As the Father has sent me, there it is, I am sending you. So this is one of the coolest concepts that we have uh, in scripture that we get to do as Christians is we get our mission from Jesus's mission, right? That's why we're here. We follow the same purpose that God had for Jesus, his son, is the purpose that we have today in the world, which is so cool. We could spend forever just looking at that. But what I wanna leave with you guys today is the same way that he came to bring peace, we also bring this peace, this shalom to the world, okay? And so I wanna end our time answering this question. How are we sent into the world to share his shalom? How are we done with that? And we see it all right here in this verse. The first thing that Jesus says after that line is he breathes on them, giving them the Holy Spirit, right? So they were sent out with the Spirit. And so the thing is we have a helper. When we go out, we're not alone. We're given his Spirit so that we can have guidance, have wisdom, we're not alone when we do that, so we don't need to have fear, just as the disciples were sent out in that way. And the language here is actually really, really cool, and I wanted to share it, and it just blew my mind this week. So the word here for to breathe on, emphasio, is the only place that it's used in the New Testament. But it's used in the Old Testament as well. It's used in Genesis. What happened in Genesis? Lots of things happened in Genesis, right? But creation happened in Genesis, this is really cool. Like, look at this. Okay, Genesis 2, 7. This is where that word is found. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, breathed that same word right there, into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So that same word, that God breathed life into the first man, Jesus breathed eternal life into us and his followers, right? Because when we trust in him, he breathes into us new life. He gives us his spirit who lives inside of us when we say yes to him. He gives us this new eternal life, eternal completion, eternal time with God forever, giving us this shalom and completeness that we have. This just was so cool. Blew my mind this week. And I hope it blows your mind. Not literally, but so cool. We have this new life that we can live. And so the point with all this is that we are sent with his spirit. That's the first part. We are sent with his spirit. We don't have to worry about the awkwardness of bringing this to people, talking to people about Jesus, because we have the spirit there. And he's there to encourage us and be there with us. That's the first part. Second part of this answer is this. We are sent to point to what he has done. We're sent to point to what he has done. And so, we're not bringing our own kind of peace. We're not going to make peacefulness in people either. We're bringing this peace that Jesus already brought and we're just pointing back to it, okay? And so that's what really verse 23 is talking about. It says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. To first glance, that looks a little bit like we're forgiving people's sins, which if we line it up with the rest of the Bible, right? it's actually Mark 2, 7 specifically says, only God forgives people's sins. But what he's saying here is that we have the exact message of Jesus, of God forgiving people's sins. And so we're sharing that exact message that does the forgiving. 
We're not doing it on our own. We're just bringing the same message that Christ brought and giving it to other people. That shalom, that peace that people can have, we're bringing that same message. Tracking with me there? Paul calls this idea where that we're agents of reconciliation. Makes anything sound cooler when you're an agent. So we're agents of reconciliation, right? Reconciliation is a big word, but it's the same idea of shalom, right? Bringing back to wholeness, putting things back together. And so 2 Corinthians 5 is where he talks about this idea. If you want to check that out a little bit more, you can look at the rest of that chapter. But the snippet we're going to look at is in uh, verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. There you go. We have this message of reconciliation, of going to others and telling them, hey, this is what Jesus has done for me. He's brought me this shalom, this peace. You can also have it as well by trusting in him. And that's how we point other people to what he has done. So those are the two things, how we answer that question. How are we sent? Well, we're sent with his spirit and we're sent to point to what he's done. And that's the same for all of us. But there's something that's different for each one of us as well as we're sent out. We're sent to different places. We're not all at the same job. We're not all at the same neighborhood. And so I want to end with this question. Who has God placed in your life that you might be sent to? First rest in his peace and his shalom. But we're also supposed to be sent like he was and take that shalom to someone. The mundane in your life is actually full of purpose. The people you run into at the store, at your gym, at work, your neighborhood, those people, you're placed there for a reason. You're sent there. How can you bring them the peace of Jesus that you've received? I want to encourage you with these words that Jesus gives to his disciples before he went to be crucified. John 16, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He says it right there. It's not going to be easy. You're going to leave these doors today, and it's probably going to be harder than just staying here, like in the locked room with the disciples. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy, but you're not going to be alone, and you're sent out. The message that you have is your motivation. That peace that you have then is what you send to others as well, and rest in that first to then go be sent to who you're sent to. Let him take you into deeper places of his shalom so that you can then take others to deeper places in his shalom. And so I wanna challenge you guys, as you leave here today, hopefully you leave differently than how you came in. Go and be sent into the world as Jesus was sent to bring his peace. Let me pray.